uh, in Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 9. 19, not just 9, 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed all the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come before you today in your house, may you speak to all of us, may you open up all of our hearts to receive that message that you've been preparing for for a long time for this moment on August 14th. Lord, I pray that you just speak to us and that you empower us and encourage us to go and live our lives as a living sacrifice. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So for many of you who have been in church for a while, you've likely heard this story taught in Sunday school times many, many times. Uh, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, growing up, I thought it was Shadrach, Meshach, and a bungalow. <laughs> but it's not. It's Abednego. And I, I would guarantee that about half of you, if not more, wouldn't even be able to know how to spell them, just off the top of your head, right? Because their spelling is so tremendous and weird, right? For our day and age, it's a weird spelling, uh, but to give you an overview of the story, or maybe if you've never heard this, you're new to Christianity, you're watching online, and hopefully you have audio, but um, you've never heard this story before. Here's just a recap of what happened to jog your memory and to introduce you to this story. King Nebuchadnezzar uh, was the king of Babylon who had enslaved all of Israel. And, and this king, he makes a statue of gold that's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. Now, to kind of put that into perspective, uh, I did a little bit of work while I was up here, and I measured from that window to that window, and it was 56 feet, if I measured correctly. I could be off by a few inches, but the statue, the point is, the statue wouldn't even fit in the, into this building, it's so tall. There are some hotels that aren't, aren't even nine stories tall, and this would, this would be taller than those hotels. And it's nine feet wide. So put one of me and then a half of me on top of me, and then you got nine feet-ish, right? But once this statue is constructed, the king orders that everyone, he, he writes it down, he writes a decree, which means that he makes a law under the government of Babylon that everyone must bow down and worship when the music plays from all these instruments. And if you're interested in all the instruments, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them because it's not the main point of it, but uh, it's interesting to see uh, how their praise and worship band for this statue was. And if you didn't worship when the music played, if you didn't worship when the worship team got up in front of everyone and started playing their music to worship, to signal the worship of the statue, it was also written in the law that the consequence of this would be being thrown into the fiery furnace to burn alive. 
And this is just a glimpse into how evil Babylon really was. If you didn't do exactly what you were told, then you died. Or you would suffer very greatly. And so, in verse 7, it says, As soon as they... As the sound of all kinds of music plays, all the nations, all the people, and every language fell down and worshipped this image of gold. Whenever the music played, everyone, all the nations that were in Babylon, all of the people that were in Babylon, every language that was represented, all bowed down and worshipped this image of gold. All except for these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, once word gets back because people uh, told, people saw that they were standing when everyone else was bowing down. They saw that they didn't seem to really care about this new law. And so people went up to, and a higher authority went to King Nebuchadnezzar, told them there's these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they aren't worshiping what you've told them to. They, they are, are seeing, they're not paying attention to your law. And so... King Nebuchadnezzar invites them into his own throne room. Once they get in there, he questions them. He says, I- I've been hearing these things that you haven't been worshiping uh, during all of the music. When all of these instruments are playing, I hear that you're not worshiping. And so I want to give you, out of the grace of my own hand, I want to give you a second chance to worship when you're told. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say probably one of the most bold things that I've ever heard in Scripture. Now, there's a lot of bold statements in Scripture, but this is one that every time that I hear about a furnace, even if it's my own own home furnace, right? I hear the word furnace, and I think about this bold statement. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. For thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And basically what they said in a New Testament language that most of us are familiar with, coming from Paul, is to live as Christ, to die as gain. They, they looked this king in his eyes and said, to live as Christ, to die is gain. In a New Testament translated language. You see, they don't fear death because they know that either way, whether they're thrown into the fire and consumed or they're thrown into the fire and God delivers them in that moment, they will, be, they will always find life. Because even if they die and they pass away from this earth, from the furnace, they know that they will live in Christ. They will live with God. And so they will always find life and they can confidently say that I'm going to live either way. You you do your worst to live as Christ, to die as gain. That's exactly what happens. They're tied up by the strongest men in the army. These knots were tight. The reason that Daniel, I think, put the strongest men was to let you know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even if they are the world's greatest escape artists, they're not escaping this. They are bound so tightly that, you know, imagine like 
Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Rock, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, both pulling on each end of the knot to make sure it's as tight as possible. Like they're playing tug of war with your wrist and making sure that it's as tight as possible. You're not getting out of this. This is what Daniel is trying to push. They're not going to be able to escape. And I even think, like, when, I, when I've thought about this before, I've usually just thought it was like the wrist, right? Like it was like handcuffs. They handcuffed them and then threw them in. I think their entire body was bound to where they, they were so unable to move that they literally had to be thrown in because otherwise they wouldn't be able to walk in. They wouldn't able, be able to move, and so they were physically thrown in. And when they were thrown into the fire, Scripture says that it, the, the fire coming out of the furnace was so hot that it killed the soldiers who were standing outside and the soldiers who were throwing them in. And so just the action of these strong men taking each one, one by one, by the time that all three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were thrown into the furnace, the heat was too much that these soldiers died. And what Daniel is trying to stress to us, reading this, thousands of years later, is that there is no reason that these three men should have survived. Because if standing outside of the furnace suffocates you so much that you die because of the heat, imagine what it's like in the middle of it. Imagine what it would be like to be in the middle. They should have died immediately. Now, maybe you've uh, experienced this before, and I'm sure that you have. Have you ever been in like a small room where it's just like, it feels like 300 degrees in there, right? A small enclosed room, there's no ventilation, it's just hot, someone turned the heat on, you tried to turn it down and it doesn't work, you broke the thermostat, right? Whatever it was, if you've been in a really hot room, what happens? You start to sweat and it gets hard to breathe, doesn't it? When, it, when it's really hot outside, when it's really hot in a room, it's hard to breathe. You, you start gasping for breath, and so this furnace is suffocating. It's not just the fire. It's not just the smoke. It's not just the heat of it. It's the suffocating factor that makes this such a deadly thing that they have to go through. But what we know, and, and if you've been in Sunday school, you know what the end of the story is. Nebuchadnezzar, he leaps in amazement. Because there's no longer three. He, he looks and he sees the shadow of the three, but he also sees them walking freely. And this fourth thing, this fourth what looks like a person, and he describes it as the Son of God's, is what it looked like. Now, Nebuchadnezzar isn't a believer in God. He believes his own Babylonian gods. And since Babylon was polytheistic, they had many gods. And so you kind of can't blame him for calling Jesus the Son of God's because he didn't know who Jesus was at that moment. But, but we know that since he is the Son of God, that Jesus is the one that's walking with them in the fire. He's, they're walking around freely. And Nebuchadnezzar, he leaps in amazement, and he says, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come on out. Come on out here. And they, they walk out, and they walk up to King Nebuchadnezzar without a blemish, without a scar, without a burn, all of their hair is still intact, their clothes don't even have the slightest burn or singe, their clothes were untouched by the fire. 
It even mentions that they didn't even smell like smoke. Which amazes me because if I'm within a five foot radius of a campfire, I smell like smoke. They say smoke follows beauty. Well, you know, <laughs> it follows me, right? But you smell like smoke. Even if it's not blowing in your face, you still smell like a campfire. They were inside of it and they didn't come out smelling like smoke. It was like as if they had never been thrown into the furnace. But if you read it too fast, you'll miss something. This is where I'm wanting to, to push the point today. They were bound when they went in, but they walked out. They were bound so tightly and had to be thrown in because they couldn't move otherwise, but they walked out set free. Free from their bondage. There's something that I noticed in this passage, and I've noticed that the, the walking free from out, but there is actually something in this passage that after years of studying this, because this is one of my favorites, this is one of my go-tos when it comes to, to preaching and, and studying. In this historical account of Scripture, these three men found in the Bible reflect two separate worlds in the conflict that both of them have. Right, and we talked about a lot of this in, in the book of Revelation with the spiritual world and the, and the worldly world. This historical account in Scripture, it reflects two different worlds, how they collide with one another and how one will always overcome the other. There's one world that's ruled by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian people. It's a world led by fear. It's a world driven by fear. And you see this because Nebuchadnezzar makes this decree and he says, if you don't do exactly what I tell you, exactly what the law says, then you will burn in the furnace. That's fear driven. There's no other motivation besides the fear of losing your life if you don't obey. But we see this in our world today. There's a fear for you, that you, if you mention the gospel of Jesus Christ, you'll get fired from your job. There's a fear that if you stand for, for what you believe in, then you'll be canceled or mistreated or rejected by society. There's a fear, and I see this, and I know I don't have kids, so I don't understand completely, but there's a fear that I see from the outside looking in with families that if your kids aren't playing these sports and they're not committed to these things that are time-consuming, and if you're not participating in X, Y, and Z, and you're not in this group and your kid's not in that group, then you as a parent are setting your kid up for failure. And so any good parent hears all of these things and out of fear says, I'm going to involve my kid in all these things because I want them to be successful, just like every good parent wants their kid to be successful. There's a fear that if you don't accept in our world today, the immoral and unbiblical behavior of certain groups, then you're a hypocritical and you're an unloving person. And that's your label. That's what they'll stamp right on your forehead. You're unloving, you're hypocritical, and there's a fear behind that because it's a fear of your reputation. And it's not just in the secular world. It's in the church world too. There's a fear that if you aren't perfect, then you're going to spend an eternity in hell. There's a fear that if you're too expressive in worship, then you're just putting on a show. But if you're not expressive enough, then your faith's in question on if you're even worshiping in the first place. 
There's a fear that if you don't give financially enough, then your faith will be in question. There's a lot of this fear of if I am not like this, if I don't act in this way, if I'm not this way, then am I truly a follower of Christ? And the list goes on and on and on. But do you know what fear actually does to you? It limits you. It binds you. It suffocates you. It distorts your vision like a kaleidoscope. Right? You remember playing with those as kids? If you were weird like me, did you ever take two kaleidoscopes and put on both of your eyes and try to walk around? Right? Because you're not stupid like I was. But... (laughs) I would. I, I would I would grab two of the kaleidoscopes that we got from AR reading and I would put them both on my eyes and I'd try to walk around. You can't do it. You trip. You fall. Just from experience. You don't have to try it. I did it for you. It, it, it distorts your vision and it gives you no real direction or purpose other than obey or else. Obey or else. Obey or else. And this is a direct, one of the direct lines for why so many people in our world are living anxiety-filled and depressed lives. Because of the fear of what might come. If you look around in your world today, in all of our world, you'll find anxious and depressed people everywhere. Some people are better at hiding it than others. But anxious and depressed people. And it doesn't matter if you've never been in church or if you've been in church your entire life. People are anxious and they're depressed. And it all stems to fear. And this is what the spirit of Nebuchadnezzar, the world of Nebuchadnezzar does. It's driven by fear. And you feel limited. And so you're anxious. You feel like you can't be yourself because if you're yourself, then you won't be able to do these things in your fear of what might come, and so you you have no purpose, you have no direction. Whereas with these three men, they represent faith. And, And the spirit of the living God through faith. Because it's faith, not fear, it's faith that sets you free. Free to worship however... You are comfortable and desire to worship free to live how you were designed and created. Free to be a child of God. Without shame, without fear. This is what faith does. Faith looks at an uncertainty and says, Whatever tomorrow may bring, I know my God is with me. To reflect it with fear, what fear says is, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, so I'm just going to do what I have to right now. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but I'm going to try my best to set myself up for the future so that I don't have to fear for my kids or for my family or for whatever else. And so I'm going to look at all these worldly things and I'm going I'm to set myself up. I'm going to come up with my plan. Faith says, don't worry about your plan. Give up your plan. Give it all up. And you won't have to worry about tomorrow. Because I will be there with you. And so I, I want to close with this. How many of you have had popcorn before? Raise your hand. Okay. 
you, you roast it and put it down really quickly. <laughs> Who, maybe a better question. Who hasn't had popcorn? Gabe. Gabe just raised his hand up there unintentionally, but I'm going to call him out anyways. <laughs> Gabe has not had popcorn. Megan, you need to get him some popcorn, right? Right, we've all had popcorn. Have you ever wondered how popcorn actually pops? For the longest time, I thought it would just heat it up the shell. The shell became frail or whatever, and then just popped open. But you, have you ever wondered like the science behind it? How popcorn actually pops. I heard a, a preacher this past week, and it was like great for the end of my sermon. It's one of those timely illustrations that I hear. And so I did some research uh, and found this information. And um, I might have to link it in the YouTube page because I copied and pasted. So just so you know, these are not my words. These are other people's words. Popcorn kernels are surrounded by a hard and strong outer coating. Right? If you've ever tried to bite into a popcorn kernel like I have, it doesn't work so well. So, um, but it's a strong and uh, hard outer coating. But on the inside, they contain oil, water, and starch. When popcorn is heated, the water inside the kernel tries to expand into steam, but it cannot escape through the seed coat. The hot oil and the steam gelatinizes the starch inside the popcorn kernel, making it softer and more pliable. When the popcorn reaches a certain temperature, the pressure inside the kernel is about 135 PSI, which is the sufficient pressure to rupture the popcorn hull, essentially turning the kernel inside out into that familiar <laughs> shape of popcorn that we all know and love to eat. A popped piece of popcorn is about 20 to 50 times larger than the original kernel. If popcorn is heated too slowly, the steam will leak out of the tender tip and not pop. If it's heated too quickly, it will pop, but it'll be very hard because it hasn't had time to gelatinize and make the inside softer. And what I think sometimes what God does is much like a popcorn seed. He throws us, he allows us to be thrown into the furnace of our life to reveal what is in us. He throws us he allows us, he doesn't throw us in there, he allows us to be thrown into a furnace to reveal what's in us. He, he allows us to go through struggles. He allows us to, to be tempted. He allows us to go through hard situations in our life all to reveal what's in us because it's through the fire, it's through the heat, it's through the pressure that we're transformed by his love and grace into something much more beautiful than a popcorn kernel. Instead, it is... What we know and love is popcorn. It's because of him working in all things. All things, not just some things. All things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. This is what he does. He uses a bad situation and shows you what you're actually capable of when you have faith in him. To where your faith will continue to grow, but the, the binding nature of fear will be broken so that you will be 20 to 50 times more effective in this world because you allowed faith to rule and not fear. See, whenever Jesus is in the center of it all, when you give your life to Christ, and you have the faith to say to live as Christ, to die as gain in any and every situation, knowing that you are guaranteed life whether you die or whether you live, 
The fire that seeks to destroy you will never consume you. And you'll walk right out of the fire knowing that it's because of your faith and it's by His grace that you have been saved. See, it's faith in God that destroys the bondage of fear. And so when you follow Christ and you surrender your all to Him, you don't have to live in fear. You can live in faith that God is for you, that He will walk with you through any fire that you face. And you can confidently sing what the song from a couple years ago says, that you're no longer a slave to fear. You're a child of God. Some of you, I get the sense, you need to reclaim that title. You are a child of God. If you surrendered all to Christ, you are a child of God. You're not a child of the world. You're not a child of fear. You're a child of God. You might have to walk through some fire when you're following Christ, but you don't have to live in fear because you know that God is always for you. He is still a healing, miracle-working God, and He's still performing miracles to this very day, and He's never stopped loving you. You are a child of God. He's constantly pursuing you just like parents pursue their children. Right? If you know how much my mom texts me every single day, if God can pursue me more than my mom pursues me, how great is our God? How much does He actually love us? You might have to walk through some fire, but you know that He will be there unto death. And what He asks us to do is deny ourselves to take up our cross and follow Him daily. And for the, the Christians in the room, if you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, you've been following and you kind of feel like you're living in fear right now, I want to encourage you to deny yourself, put away all of your fear, put away all of your doubts, and just come to God and say, I am your child. Take the spirit of fear away. Give me the faith that's necessary. And know that no matter what happens, no, what, no matter what tomorrow may bring, you will always find life, even unto death. And for you who may not be followers of Christ, you, you've been watching and maybe you've been sitting in church for a long time or where you've never walked into a church building and you're hearing this message for the first time, you don't have to live in fear anymore. You don't have to live in fear. You can live by faith. So take this moment right now to deny yourself, put away your sins, put away your regrets, put away your fear, put away your shame, put away your sinful ways and repent of them. Don't look back to them. Take up your cross. And follow him through whatever fire, through whatever valley, through whatever storm he takes you through. And know that no matter what you go through, you will be set free. That coming out of it, you'll be set free from the bondage of fear and your faith will explode. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and for this moment to come before you. Lord, if there's anyone in here that has been living in fear, may you invite them to take a physical step up to the front, the front pew. 
the front of the, the stage where the step is. Wherever it may be, just, just call them to make that step and say, Lord, I'm taking a step to recognize that I am a child of you. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I'm your child. And for those who, who, who are coming in here and they don't know who you are, but they, they heard you speak directly to them that they could be a child of God, that they don't have to live in fear anymore, but instead they can live free, free to live how you designed and created them to be. I pray that you, you speak to them to take that physical step to the front row, to the front uh, of of the church and just come to you to deny themselves to take up their cross and follow you today. Lord, we love you and we thank you that we do not have to live in fear, but instead we can go into the fire and know that you are with us and that we will always find life in you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.